<clears throat> Lord, thank you for this day and this opportunity to be here together with our fellows to study your word. We thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do. We thank you for your son who you gave fully so that we may be redeemed and not just that, but that we may be one day entered into his glory with him as co-heirs. We thank you for the trials and the tribulations that you allow us to experience while we're here so that we may also overcome as he has overcome and be able to have a place with him at his side in your day, the seventh day. We pray eagerly and we wait eagerly for that day, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of that. Bless each one of us and help us so that we may prevail and be with you on that day and stand revealed and accomplish the purpose that you had originally set out for man. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start in Luke 24, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all things in scripture, the things concerning himself. In our last study, we had seen how Lord, the Lord Jesus opened the scriptures to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and helped them to understand the central truth of all scripture. All scripture is about him, his coming kingdom and rulership in that day. Upon examining the first six days of the restoration of the ruined material creation presented by Moses in Genesis 1, we discovered through the leading of the Holy Spirit that we were able to see the complete redemptive process for all who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ laid out in the examples, the types, in days one through six. To quickly review, day one, through a sovereign act of the Lord, showed the light of the Lord shine out of darkness with light and darkness now being divided. This pictured for us the free gift, salvation by grace through faith, as we see in Ephesians 2 at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Day 2 through the type shows how the individual in possession of spiritual life is then able to discern the division between heavenly and earthly things. The wisdom so eloquently described in James beginning verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of good mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Receiving this wisdom from above seen in day two, we find in day three the type for being brought forth from that place of death, pictured in the Red Sea crossing for Israel and the ordinance of baptism for the church. Writing to the church in Colossae, Paul teaches in Colossians 2, in him you, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Days four, five, and six provide the foundational type for the process that leads to rulership in the seventh day as we make the distinction between that associated with darkness, Satan's kingdom, and that associated with light, the coming kingdom of Christ. We see this in day four, 
We see abundance and fruitfulness in relation to the word of the kingdom, day five, and the Lord creating man in his image and likeness, day six, male and female for one purpose, to have dominion, to rule. Paul sums this up quite nicely in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let us keep in mind from scripture, sonship is synonymous with rulership. Only firstborn sons may rule and reign with the Lord Jesus in his coming day. If we have faith to the saving of the soul of our souls and follow the process seen in days one through six of Genesis, we will be recognized as firstborn sons and therefore be worthy to be in a position of rulership in the seventh day, the millennial kingdom. We may now at this time turn our attention to the seventh day, the day of the Lord, and of course the best place to begin there is in foundation. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. With this statement, the full scope of the redemptive process was set unalterably in foundation. There would be six days of restorative redemptive work followed by a seventh day of rest. Though the days in Genesis are 24 hours days, we may know from our later scripture the redemptive process for man would last 6,000 years, six, 1,000 uh, days each, six days followed by 1,000 years of rest, which is the seventh day. We are assured of this by way of Peter reminding the early church in 2 Peter 3, beginning in 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The seventh day is the focus of the Lord's revelation to man as well as being the foundational type of the faithful Christian experience. It is the day when the Jewish people will look upon him whom they pierced, mourn, and repent. The Lord spoke of this through Hosea the prophet in Hosea 5:15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. For the Christian, it begins with the time when we will stand before the Lord Jesus' judgment seat to determine our faithfulness or unfaithfulness to rule as co-heirs with Christ from the heavenly places. We see this in Revelation 1, beginning in 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, 
one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The seventh day has to do with the redemption of the inheritance, rulership over the earth from both the heavens and the earth. The right of rulership, the right of man to rulership was lost in the garden when Satan brought about the fall of newly created man. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 tells us, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said, You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. We see here that for the second time in Scripture, Satan caused a ruin to befall the earth. The first during his initial rebellion, and again when he intervened to discredit man from rulership, thus leaving him with dominion until the Lord appointed a new successor. The Lord, however, did not make a new creation or appoint angels to rule in Satan's stead. Rather, he began the redemptive process he set forth in the very opening of scripture to redeem man and to allow him to hold the scepter of rulership at a time yet future. The beginning of this can be seen just after the Lord confronts the man and the woman as well as Satan in Genesis 3:21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The Lord here establishes another unalterable aspect of the redemptive process, the need for death and shed blood to bring about eternal salvation or salvation of the spirit. Having set this in place, the Lord then drove the man and the woman out of the garden to bar their having access to the tree of life. Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now let us put out his hand and take also of the tree, uh, now, I'm sorry, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to the guard the way to the tree of life. This thankfully was not the end of the matter. The Lord, knowing all that was to come, had prepared his son before the foundations of the world to be the slain lamb to enable man's redemption as well as the redemption of the inheritance. Last time we had noted the redemption encompasses the world in a broad sense, and in a more specific sense, it encompasses Israel, the church, and the material creation, and, only could, and could only be accomplished by a divine act, with the blood of God himself. This is made more apparent as we bring Genesis 3.21 into view, where the scripture states, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. 
The making of these tunics to cover the nakedness of the man and woman necessitated the death and shed blood of animals. The redemption of man could only begin with death and the shed blood of a lamb, a divine and sovereign act as seen at the beginning of the six days in Genesis. Then God said, It is the word of the Lord, Jesus, speaking, which results in actions on each of the previous six days. The Lord Jesus, the word made flesh alone, is able to redeem man and the only one worthy to redeem the inheritance. And the fulfillment of both of these is confirmed in Matthew's gospel, where we see in Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The father declaring Jesus as his beloved son denotes more than just kinship, more than Jesus being a part of the triune God. He is being declared as the one with the rights of the firstborn to rule over his father's house. In our previous study, we noted Jesus the Christ is the beginning and the end of God's complete redemptive work with respect to the earth and to man. This was seen in Revelation 5, verses 1 through 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne a scroll written which on inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. The verses which follow confirm all that was laid out for us in foundation. We see, continuing on at verse 14, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on this earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth 
and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Now, as exciting exciting and momentous as that all was, let's take a moment and, and back up here and look from the beginning of the redemptive process leading to the seventh day and man exercising rulership as originally intended. This was originally given to the descendants of Abraham through whom the nation of Israel would come via Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons, shown in the promises given to Abraham. For in this purpose, the Lord came to Abraham, then Abram, and said to him in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham is sent on a journey to be undertaken by faith, arriving in the, lo- in the land the Lord showed him. He did so with a promise that the Lord made to him to make. Oh, <laughs> he did so with a promise from the Lord to make of him a great nation, to receive blessing and to be a blessing for others. We see in Hebrews 11:8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, which builder and maker is God. In this moment in time, the Lord was beginning the process of creating a new nation for the purpose of being adopted as a firstborn son. First, though, the faith of Abraham had to, be, had to mature and be tested, as does ours in our daily lives. I'm certain that we're all familiar with the verses in Genesis where we see in Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. By faith, Abraham took his only son Isaac, whom he loved, and went to offer him as a sacrifice as the Lord commanded. He, at this point in his life, trusted the Lord so completely, he did not even question him. Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him, he and Isaac both believing the Lord would fulfill his promises given to Abraham, as we see laid out for us in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. 
They had faith the Lord would raise Isaac up himself from the dead to fulfill his purpose. And we see this played out in Genesis 22, beginning in verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called, him, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The Lord stops Abraham before any harm may come to Isaac, having seen the faith of Abraham and accounting him righteousness as a result. This act of faith and righteousness led the Lord to make even more abundant promises to Abraham, as he said to him in Genesis 22, verses 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Through this one man the Lord promised to bless all the nations of the earth because you have obeyed my voice. The Lord, and we'd like you to think the Lord Jesus, spoke and action resulted as we saw exemplified in the six days of Genesis. The result of this action is the beginning of the nation of Israel and the Lord's plans for man's redemption moving forward. We see the next phase of this of the Lord's divine plan as we move forward into the book of Exodus. The Lord appearing to Moses as the burning bush gives him a commission to retrieve the children of Israel from Egypt. We see expressed in Exodus 3, starting in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who were in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good land and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hittites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This of itself is extraordinary. The Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, is stepping into the affairs of man to intervene for one group of people. The reason for this is revealed by the Lord in the very next chapter when he tells Moses in Exodus 4, starting in 22, Then you shall go to Pharaoh, thus you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. This is no simple statement of preference for the children of Israel. By adopting the nation as his firstborn son, the Lord is declaring his purpose to all the powers of the earth, including those powers ruling from the heavenly places, there will be a change in rulership. 
The Lord is announcing his intentions to destroy the Gentile power of the day. Bring Israel out into the land of promise and make them ruler over the earth with God as their king. There is, of course, far more to this, but we'll have to wait until next time when we dwell further into the roles of Israel and the church in the Lord's redemptive plan. We will also move beyond the letter of Scripture and explore the Spirit, uh, exploring and examining more in depth the types showing the Christ throughout all of Scripture. This we will do if the Lord is willing, we remain, and we all continue to pray. Let us have, uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to hear and study your word. I thank you for all of the people that are here to, who have encouraged me and are an encouragement to me and Mike and Ben and everyone who would, who would come up here and face the challenge of preaching your word. We thank you so much for this, this body of believers who support and encourage one another so much. I thank you for John and his faithful obedience and his encouragement and support to all of us who would also preach the word along with him. We thank you for this word that you have given us and the, the travails that this life has to offer and we count them as rubbish compared to what we will gain in you and the glory that will be revealed in us in your day. I pray that you send your spirit and strengthen all of us that we might be overcomers and have our place with you and sit by your side in your kingdom. I pray this to you, Lord, our God, our Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.